Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. The community is centered around Jesus and his word. That's community. Even in Judah, they were doing this stuff and God's like, I don't like that. I got a problem with that. You guys, are, you guys are playing the part. You're making a sacrifice. And like I said, Israel as a whole was, was thriving. I mean, the stock market was good. Everybody, was, everybody had like money, not only in their checking account, but in their savings account. People are easily manipulated to do things that they don't want to do. Today, Pastor James talks about how a community of people who are not following Christ's word can be harmful for our walk with Christ. A community of God isn't like a normal group. They're centered around God's word and always strive for holiness. How can you live so that you can influence others to Christ? You might find that you have to give up some things so that through your actions, you'll encourage others to live like Jesus. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Amos chapter one, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. fled the Sodom and Gomorrah area. And as they were fleeing Lot's wife, she looked back. And when she looked back, pillar of salt. And that looking back was a longing, a desire within her heart of like wanting to be back in that environment. She got turned into a pillar of salt. So you have Lot and his two daughters, not really, not really obeying God and really trusting in him. Um, and they just assumed well, this is it. We're the last ones on earth. And his two daughters had the idea, let's get dad drunk and let's have him get us pregnant. And that's always bad, um, always bad. And it always results in bad, bad results. Um, the Ammonites are a, an effect of that. So you have the Ammonites, the descendants of Lot and his youngest daughter. And they've been a thorn. They were, at this point in time, a thorn in the Israelites' side, so to speak. Look at how vicious they were. I mean, it's very descriptive on the things that they were doing to the, to the people of Gilead. I mean, just slaughtering pregnant women and their babies. Just with no conscience. Chapter 2, verse 1, it goes on. The prophet of Mo, or the people of Moab have sinned again and again. And I will not let them go unpunished. They desecrated the bones of Edom's king, burning them to ashes. So I will send down fire on the land of Moab and all the fortresses of Kiriath will be destroyed and the people will fall in the noise of battle as the warriors shout and the ram's horn sounds. And I will destroy their king and slaughter all their princes, says the Lord. So here you have the Moabites, which we know Ruth was a Moabite, right? She came from there. But their origin was with Lot and his oldest daughter, okay? So you're like, not a good family tree there, right? Not many branches in that family tree, if you know what I'm saying, okay? At least in their origins, right? So you have Lot with his older daughter, same story as with the Ammonites. But from that, from that, you have Ruth, who is beautiful, beautiful story. And she's a part of the lineage of Christ. And with Ruth and Boaz, you end up with a King David, and then eventually, like I said, down the road, you get King Jesus. So there's good that can come out of 
bad and dire situations and scenarios. But the Moabites, they were, uh, they were dishonoring, and, and, I don't, and, and not many people understand the, the reason behind the story of why they would desecrate their king and his bones like they did. But this was obviously enough to really to anger the Lord against them and what they were doing. And so he's like, You'll, there, there's a price to pay for that. And so that's where you get through, like, that's, there's, there's six of these things, and they're, they're those pronouncements, and that's where Israel would be like, yes, and amen, and we love you, Lord, and man, we're so glad that we're on your team. Actually, no, wait, Lord, we're glad you're on our team, because uh, that's really how they were thinking. Um, not really following him, but he should be following them uh, and serving them kind of a, a, a mindset and attitude. And so they're like, yes, go get all those wicked people. Go get all those wicked people. Destroy them. And then we'll be the only ones left. But the message continues on. The message continues on. Here's Amos now speaking to, and, and yeah, he was from the southern tribe, but he, he is, his message, he had to go into like the northern tribe to deliver this thing, right? So, but he, he's going to send pronouncement to his, his part, but then also most of it goes towards like the northern tribes, okay? So here's for the southern part where he would be from says, this is what the Lord says. The people of Judah have sinned again and again. Oh, wait, you think you're good. Oh, you're not good. Oh, you think you're different from everybody else. Oh, you're not that different. You're not that different. You should be different, but you're not acting different. He says, I would not let them go unpunished. But wait, we're your kids. Exactly. Exactly. A good heavenly father knows how to step in and stop some rebellious kids before it gets way out of hand. And it's gotten way out of hand at this point in time. But here's God, and he's been warning them. He's been warning them. It's that it's you cruising down the road with your, with your parents or whoever, and they keep warning you, I'm going to pull this car over. I will pull this car over, right? Have you ever gotten threatened like that? <laughs> yeah. Growing up in the 80s and 90s, yeah, we did. I don't know. It was just, they were just trained that way, I guess. But uh yeah, I don't know how we made it to any destination, honestly, uh, when we traveled anywhere as a family. Um, but here's the Lord saying, I'm going to pull this car over. And then eventually he does. But he's letting him know, just another heads up. He says, they've rejected the instruction of the Lord, refusing to obey his decrees, meaning they have rebelled against his word. They've rebelled against his word. They don't want his word. Now, at, at this point in time, like, they didn't have an Old Testament and New Testament. They had, you know, they had the books of the law, and then they had other books as well. But here God is telling them, he's like, you do not honor my word. You do not keep my word. You don't even want my word. Like, you're supposed to be doing this church thing. They wouldn't use that term back then. He's like, but you're trying to do church without the Bible. You can't do that. Like, you can't do, that's not church. That's not Christianity, right? And I think this is a good little point for us to make, especially nowadays. When churches don't use Bibles, they're not churches. They're social gatherings, motivational speakers. That's all it is. And God, God has always had a problem with this. He has always had a problem with this. When churches, quote unquote, or his people, quote unquote, gather together in an assembly and go through all the stuff, but leave out his word, he doesn't like that. He is never like that. And I don't know why 
the tendency of, of a lot of people is to continue on with that. I don't know why so many people are drawn to that. Like, it's no word. Why would I show up? Show up to sing songs. I'll go to a concert to sing songs. I'm not going to, oh, it's community. It's community. No, the community is centered around Jesus and his word. That's community. Even in Judah, they were doing this stuff, and God's like, I don't like that. I got a problem with that. You guys are are playing the part. You're making a sacrifice. And like I said, Israel as a whole was was thriving. I mean, the stock market was good. Everybody Everybody had like money, not only in their checking account, but in their savings account, right? Oh, that seems like years ago now for most of us, right? In this day, they were thriving. They were thriving. But within that, they'd grown comfortable. And then their dependency upon God lessened and their reverence for God. They still played the part because it's just what you do. You still, you go to the temple, you still got to make the sacrifices, you still got to do these things. But if your heart's not in it, why are you doing it? And this is God saying like, I have an issue with your outward displays of religiousness. He's like, where's my word? Why aren't you studying my word? Why aren't you applying my word to your lives? Why aren't you seeking me? And they had, they had lost that. It says they've been led astray by the same lies that deceived their ancestors. So I will send down fire on Judah and all the fortresses of Jerusalem will be destroyed. This is God to his own people. It's like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to get all of you because you will not, you will not seek me with all your hearts. And then the northern tribes are like, whoo, yeah, those southern guys, yeah, get those southerners, Lord. Get those, yeah, because I know these other people, these other knuckleheads, you need to get those too. But yeah, we've always had problems with Judah. Yeah, they've always been, actually, they've been the good tribes, technically. It's the northern tribes that have always been a wreck, always. Some of the worst kings that Israel has ever had were with the northern tribes. And so if I was somebody in the northern tribes, I'd probably at this point in time be sweating when this letter was being, when it was being read. I'd be like, oh my gosh, like Judas, the good ones. Like they're the good ones. We're the, we know we're the bad ones. Verse six of chapter two, it says, this is what the Lord says. The people of Israel have sinned again and again. Now their list is long, is long. The whole rest of this is their list. Like Judah's like, ouch, ouch. Like, okay, yeah, let's, let's get back to the word. That's easy. That's easy. Israel's got like a whole list. Look at this. It's, it, he goes through it. He's like, they sell honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. So they're dealing in slavery. And they're completely demeaning the value of human life in an, even within that horrible act. Selling people for shoes. Shoes and silver, which is not as valuable as gold. So it's a lesser precious metal that they're ascribing to people made in God's image. What's that person worth to you? A pair of shoes. That's horrible. That's not even just a, a slap to the individual's face. That's a slap to God's face. Number one, you shouldn't be selling anybody. 
But then to have the audacity to be like, that's just a poor person. Let's just see what we can get for a poor person because nobody cares about the poor people. This is their heart. And again, they were, they were practicing all their religious stuff. So they say, trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. Both father and son sleep with the same woman. What? Yes, this sounds like 1 Corinthians type stuff, right? You're like, oh, don't worry. We'll get there eventually too, right? But this is like the, just, the, just the, the immorality that is running rampant. Corrupting my holy name, the rest of verse 7 there. Verse 8, at their religious festivals. Here you go, religious festivals. They lounge in clothing. Their debtors put up as security. In the house of their gods, not the house of God, but the house of their gods, they drink wine bought with unjust fines. They're crooks, they're criminals. They're, they got, they're, they're just dealing in all this like, it, it just, it's immorality is what it is. And it's sin upon sin upon sin. And, and it's just, it's evil is what God is saying. He says, but as my people watched, I destroyed the Amorites, though they were as tall as cedars and as strong as oaks. I destroyed the fruit on their branches and dug out their roots. It was I who rescued you from Egypt, speaking still to Israel, and led you through the desert for 40 years so you could possess the land of the Amorites. I chose some of your sons to be prophets and others to be Nazarites. Can you deny this, my people of Israel? He's just calling them out. He's like, here's what you're doing. And it's horrible. Have you forgotten what I've done for you? And that's always the key. That is always the key. When you wake up and you find yourself having drifted from God, why, what, and it's the compromises and all that stuff. But ultimately, we have forgotten who he is and what he has done. And that's the case for Israel, especially for these northern tribes. Have you forgotten? Can you deny this, my people of Israel? Ask the Lord. The answer to that is, no, they cannot deny it. But you cause the Nazarites to sin by making them drink wine. The Nazarite vow, you abstain from wine and grapes and all that stuff. But they are forcing, making these individuals who have taken a vow unto the Lord to compromise that vow that they have made to God. And that's just wicked. That is wicked. What would have been elevated as like a Nazarite vow, that's a, that's, a, that's a tremendously special thing. And so when somebody did that, you think of like somebody like a Samson, right? Most, probably the most famous one ever. And he blew it tremendously, right? But you think of it like growing out his hair, and maybe John the Baptist had a Nazarite vow too, I don't know. But he's you know, growing out his hair and no, not supposed to be drinking wine and all that good stuff. But this was a thing of honor, of, dis- of just distinction. And the, the people of Israel were like tempting the Nazarites to do what they had promised to God that they would not do. And that's a horrible thing. And it, number one, if you, have, if you have individuals within your life trying to tempt you to sin against God and to break commitments that you have made to him, you need to reassess that relationship a little bit and put up some firm boundaries. Be like, no, no, I'm not, no, I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to do this or that. And, and we all have different convictions within our lives. I think that, you know, that apply to some and, and maybe don't apply to others. I know for, for my wife and myself, we, we abstain from alcohol. Now, could I drink alcohol? Do I have a biblical basis for all that good stuff? I don't care if I do or if I don't because I've chosen not to. And I and, and Nelly, almost the same exact story. I chose not to. I chose to stop in high school because I saw the path I was going down before I even knew the Lord. And then I got saved and I was like, no, you know what, Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm just giving that to you. And I don't want to go down that. I don't want that. And so, and I make that clear to people. People know where I stand on that. And if I have individuals who come into my life and are like, no, no, seriously, no, seriously, you need to do this. No, seriously, you're not my, I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. I'm sorry, but you have no respect for me and my commitment that I've made. It may not be true for you. You can have, you may have the freedom to do that. That's fine. But you don't impress your freedoms or your freedoms upon somebody else who has said, I choose not to do that. Here is Israel and they're, they're, aggressively, it seems like from the text, they are aggressively pursuing these Nazarites and like forcing a cup of wine on them all the time. So where then they, they're giving into this. It says, you cause the Nazarites to sin by making them drink wine. It says, and you command the prophets, love the New Living Translation. What do they command the prophets? To shut up. <laughs> right? You're like, other ones may be a little bit nicer. We don't, Maybe we don't use those words within our families. That's fine. Um, I get in trouble when I use shut up. I actually don't say it hardly at all anymore, especially once you have kids, you stop saying certain things, okay? And these aren't even cuss words, but these are like, my wife's like, we don't say that. Okay, yes, ma'am. Um, yeah, well, I'm sorry. I didn't know, but now we do. So we don't say that in our house. But here the, the Israel is, is telling the prophets to zip it. Well, no, they represent God. They deliver the messages from God to you as his spokesman. We don't want to hear it. What are you saying then? You don't want to hear the prophets or you don't want to hear God. But you're cutting the valve off at the messenger, meaning it's not so much about the prophets. And they were annoyed with the prophets because they're enjoying prosperity. And they keep having these guys showing up saying, you need to turn from your sins. You need to repent. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Would you just please shut up about that? Well, who are you telling to shut up? Because this, the prophets speak on behalf of God. So you're telling God to shut up. In reality, they would never see it that way. They would never own up to it as that. But when you boil it down, that is what they're saying. The same thing applied for the prophets back then that applies to Will that apply to the first century church and Christ's followers for sure when he said, listen, they're not gonna, they don't hate you, they hate me. It's not you, it's me, right? That's the only time that's ever been true in all of history, right? When somebody said, it's not you, it's me, it was when Jesus said it, okay? He's like, it's not you, trust me, it's me. I'm the one that they hate, but it's, they're gonna direct it towards you. And the same apply for the prophets. It's not you that they hate, it's me that they hate, Verse 13, so I will make you groan like a wagon loaded with sheaves of grain, like weighted down, just loaded down. Your fastest runners will not get away. The strongest among you will become weak. Even mighty warriors will be unable to save themselves. The archers will not stand their ground. The swiftest runners won't be fast enough to escape. Even those riding horses won't be able to save themselves. 
on that day, the most courageous of your young or of your fighting men will drop their weapons and run for their lives, says the Lord. He's like, oh, I'm coming to get you. I'm going to get you. And he's like, you bring your baddest, bring your biggest, bring your fastest. Israel. He's talking to Israel. He's like, but I I am going to come. Judgment's coming. This would have had, uh, and I say immediate prophetic fulfillment. I mean, it wasn't too long after this letter when it was written that they would be carried off into bondage. The number one for Israel, the Assyrians were going to were going to attack them. So this would, was going to come true. And in fact, historically, it did come true. Now, this also could be somewhat applied to, to the day and age in which we live, where you do have Israel that is experiencing prosperity. They are experiencing prosperity. But are their eyes and are their hearts on the Lord? And the answer is no. The answer is no. So there, there is some of this to where the Lord is like, he's not done with Israel. He still has a plan. He's going to restore Israel. I mean, it's going to be beautiful and all that good stuff, but there's still, there still is correction to be made. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. Let's cruise through this one. Seeing this all just goes together. Now, this is like, from here on out, we're kind of camped out in message towards Israel, okay? And I say Israel, I mean, still mean the northern tribes there. But he, he's still going to lay it out there. But now chapter 3, kind of you go into three different kind of, it's Hebrew poetry is what he, he translates into. And again, this is an uneducated shepherd who's like writing a very beautiful poetic, Hebrew poetic book. I mean, this thing is it's, it's beautifully put together. And that is the Holy Spirit in and through Amos writing beautiful words. And in fact, he, he even will be singing a song. And this is a dude who's blue collar. And they're like, you can't do this. You can't write. You can't sing. You can't do all that stuff. And he's like, well, I know I can't, but he can through me. And it's amazing how the Lord can show up and give us gifts to be used for his glory. It says, listen to this message that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the entire family I rescued from Egypt. Remember, and, and the Lord's going to continue. You read through all these prophecy books, and the guy keeps bringing that up. He's like, remember, I saved you, right? You remember that? I rescued you? Okay, let's get, let's, let's get back to that point. It says, I, I rescued you from Egypt. Verse 2, from among all the families on the earth, I've been intimate with you alone. God's like, I've had face-to-face time with you alone, Israel. I selected you. I picked you. Out of all the people, I picked you. That is why I must punish you for all your sins. You're chosen. You're God's chosen people. And you're the most rebellious ones out there. You're the most rebellious. Yeah, these other nations have their list of sins, but they're not as many as you. And this, the other thing is, I chose you guys. I set you apart. That's why that when judgment comes, judgment has to start within the house of God. We're not exempt from anything. If Christians are being knuckleheads, God is going to show up and say, like, I'm going to correct that behavior. Before I go deal with the world, I'm going to deal with my church. It says, verse 3, this is um, some compare and contrast kind of things here. It says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Well, yeah, they have to agree where they're going or they're not walking together, Right? That's, that's true. That's, that's you going to the store with your kids. Hey, 
Have you ever noticed how little kids try to get away with something? Like sneaking a chocolate chip cookie out of the cookie jar. They think they've succeeded, except for that smudge of chocolate left on their cheek. Talk about a tell-all sign. They can't see it, but anyone who looks at them can. Misbehavior has a way of being found out, just as wrongdoing can't hide in the light of God's truth. We see this in the stories of the minor prophets that were sent by God to reveal the sin and the traps that the people of Judah fell prey to. But in the midst of it all, we see Jesus fighting for his people. How? Through these messages. Through continually picking sinners up by their bootstraps with convicting yet encouraging words to live fully surrendered. You've just heard from Pastor James Grizzle and the ministry of Bread for the Broken out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us today, and our prayer is that you'll find exactly what you've been looking for. We're a group of people of all ages coming together to magnify Jesus. We'd love to have you come join us for a Sunday morning service or a Thursday evening service. You can find out more on our website, breadforthebroken.com. If you feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit to help us spread the good news of the gospel, then click on that donation tab. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all that we have for today's edition with Pastor James Grizzle, but we look forward to meeting with you again here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.